Yankees Files Pod, episode 100. I am Alec Whipple. You are Will Harris. Wait, wait, did I did I do that right? Is this, is this, is this the right order? How does this how does this work? Is it opposite day? What's going on? Well, ladies and gentlemen, it's our hundredth episode, and I've been begging for at least a few months to be allowed to host the podcast. And Will gave in to me. It just so happens that it was my birthday three days ago. So a belated birthday present. But I also said, you know what? That's not good enough. I don't want just want to host the hundredth episode. I want to have Ryan Garcia on the hundredth episode. And so we have of Yankees Files 100th episode our longtime most frequent favorite guest Ryan Garcia will oh, and my Ryan going to take offense to that I'm I'm sorry Mr. Harris I'm sorry your dad might also father. take offense to that your mom might take offense to it Gabe might take offense to it a Holy lot of cow. people might but you know what Hoodie Allen might take offense to it but Ryan's here now so we got to treat him with the respect he deserves so Will and Ryan how are you both doing and the 100th episode of this great podcast. Whipple, happy birthday. Happy belated Thanks. birthday. It's good to be 100 episodes in. If you had told me 100 episodes ago that we'd make it to this point, I would say it sounds like we're about 100 episodes away. So I'm I'm glad we did it. Uh, no, in all seriousness, I think um, it's it's cool to look back on where we started and and how far we've come, whether it's all the guests we've had, whether it's the growth we've had, whether it's, you know, adding video, like people can watch us right now. Um, it's been, it's been a fun run. And I think letting you host every like hundred episodes or so is probably about the right ratio. Uh, let's get into baseball season. Ryan, how's it going? It's going great. It's an honor to be the guest for the 100th episode. Uh, I remember being like now it's weird because I'm in, you know, second year of college. And I remember my senior year of high school, every lunch period, I would just sit down and listen to whatever episodes I had not caught up on on the Yankees Files podcast. And so I had moved to a new school, too. So, like, I didn't know anybody. So I was just sitting down, listening to podcasts, making some obscure spreadsheet because it was a lockout. And all there was to talk about was, I guess we'll have to wait when baseball's back. And not to say football and basketball aren't, you know, entertaining sports in their own rights, but I care a lot more about, you know, where some random niche free agents going uh, than <laughs> basketball sometimes or football sometimes. And it's nice to have baseball back. And it's going to be a really exciting year for the Yankees because they did a lot of really exciting things. Yeah, Ryan, we're going to have to clip that. And that's like on repeat as like our testimonial, you know, why you should listen to Yankees files. I think you are the prime example of, you know, somebody who really kind of got in on the ground floor and look, look where you are now. Guest on He's the 100th episode. The OG Yankees Files evangelist. No, we are always, we always, we always love having you on, Ryan. You are a truther. And uh, Will, I, I think your comment about, before we actually get into baseball, because as you said, Ryan, the Yankees, super fun this year. We have so much to talk about. But Will, your comment about looking back and, and all the things we've done kind of transitions nicely to our brief uh, surprise activity that I've teased. Uh, we're not going to take long, but I wanted to take a few minutes on the 100th episode to do another draft. And we're going to do a speed round rapid fire draft of the top moments of Yankees files. Like, what do you want on your team? If you're assembling a team of the things that you've done with Yankees files, the experiences, the guests, anything related to Yankees files, what are your top three moments? And Ryan, podcast only or full brand? It's everything related to the full brand. Ryan, you're welcome to participate for as much as you want. You can have one, two, three picks. 
Um, we don't want to leave you out of it, but you know, there is a lot of crossover and we've done a lot with Ryan. We've, we've met Ryan. Maybe that'll be in the draft. Maybe it won't, who knows, but this draft I think is yeah, a short way for us to just reflect and kind of share, you know, what, what are our favorite moments from the first about three years of Yankees files? So Will, this is unfair. You've gotten to consider oh. this for weeks. <laughs> this is going to be, it's low stakes. I'll go first to take the pressure off uh, because I feel like I know what your number one pick is going to be. So, and it really can't be my number one pick. Uh, it's more specific to you. I will go first and say my number one pick is I'm really between two, but since Ryan is on, it's the podcasting event at Somerset Patriots uh, in summer of 2022. And I feel like that was like the first time I kind of realized like, this is crazy. Like we're doing this podcast and somebody has recognized it. And now we get to go and tour the Somerset Patriots park, talk to Sparky Lyle, talk to Brandon Lockridge, get to sit and watch a great game, meet some other people who also do this. Uh, it, I think kind of just solidified that, you know, you're not just talking to the void here. This is a really cool thing that we're doing and that kind of put it into reality besides just sitting in the microphone. Um, so when we saw a lot of great prospects who are now going to be competing for spots in the 2024 Yankees. So that's always the thing I look most fondly upon. Um, that's, that's the one I would go with. So we were hoping we'll, that was going to be a hug watch day too. It ended up not being. Uh, it was, it was, I think, right. It was around the trade deadline yep. and a lot of trades made that year. So it could have been, but, uh, well, what's the Yankees ended day? up with Andrew Benintendi. <laughs> That it immediately launched the darkest era of Yankees Files history. So maybe I'm seeing it as like <laughs> the last moment of happiness before the podcast almost split apart. Uh, yeah, that was things got things got dark. They sure did. I think my top pick. I'm not going where you think I'm going because I can just have that pick whenever I want. I think my top pick is Dad Take or Bad Take. It is crazy to me. How many people who don't know my dad and don't know your dad, people who in some cases haven't even met us in person and in some cases were, you know, big fans of the segment before they met us or met me in person. Shout out Rob.csv. Um, I think dad take or bad take is one of the funniest things we've ever done. Uh, if we can pat ourselves on the back for a comedic genius here, I think it's an awesome segment. I think it shows the way that baseball fandom gets passed down between generations. I think it shows the way we look at the game in different ways than our parents. I think it satisfies what I'm learning is a very deep-seated desire for my dad to disseminate his takes on the internet. So I'm glad I can provide him an opportunity to do that. Yeah, I think, I think dad take or bad take is up there with the best things we've done, if not the best thing we've done. I think it's, I think it's awesome. I love it. And expanding to, to moms. Uh, yeah. With making your appearance. Maybe Leanne Harris is in potentially making an appearance this year. I don't know if I'd bet on that, but um, wedding, you wouldn't, you wouldn't have her on just to, for a life. I would update. have her on. I don't know that she, I don't know how, how much it appeals to her. It's the next frontier, but I we'll agree. I mean, Having Doug on and talking to Mitch, I mean, just some great episodes. And like we teased last time, Doug Whipple might 
be giving Mitch a run for his money in terms of the the analytics. We might he see might be a, a ball knower now. He might be a ball knower. Uh, Ryan, I won't make you make three picks, but if you want to share one, you know, moment or memory or just kind of contribution here, I won't put you on the spot, but I, I open the floor to you. Yeah. So I had I wanted to go with the sentimental one at first, but I was like, you know, we, I think we had I think your answer was pretty sentimental, and I, I, I it was a fun event. Don't get me wrong. So I wanted to go a little more. We got to go into the lore here, and I think I have to pick Yankees Files versus Red Sox Twitter on Connor Wong and you guys coming out on top, of course, because I mean the guy put up a zero point five F WAR. Uh, Isaiah kind of fluffa, I think, had more WAR, um, and Isaiah kind of fluffa is not a player that we will look back on in the way and say was a great ball player for the New York Yankees. Um, all respects to him and all good wishes uh, as he goes on to play for the Toronto Blue Jays. But yeah, no, that was fun. Just all, I remember, the, I think the, the video of of us us at the event throwing at that little machine thing ended up circulating around because of it. And yep. yeah, no, and all of that just to, for them to lose the argument. I mean, that's, it's about as bad as it takes. It's about as bad as it gets. It's like if you put, let's say, you know, you sign, you, you put out like a $300 million payroll, you lose to a team with a $20 million payroll, right? You guys just put a take into the air. And it was a right take, by the way. It was. And it gets in a series. I mean, it, Connor Wong, not a good baseball player, right? And I, no. I wish I, I wish I could be more vocal about it because I'm some of the takes I see on Twitter sometimes really are just like I, I can't like I'm just like I can't. But at the same time, I don't wanna I don't wanna get too involved because I'm not not that I'm not good at debates, but um, I don't think I bring it like that anymore. I think I might have lost my curveball a little bit in terms of Twitter arguing. But yes, they I wanna- were saying he was a top ten catcher. I thought it was. I thought top fifteen was absurd. Top ten is like there was not a point in time. I mean, I get, I get not loving when War says something you don't want to hear. Right? We all have those baseball players. We just wish would be good. I wished for weeks that Andrew Heaney would be a capable major league pitcher <laughs> for the New York Yankees, just for him to be unbelievable for the Los Angeles Dodgers the year after. And it Losing never the came Heen to dog bump day bet is actually an awesome Yankees that was war awesome. moment. I was out. on a plane to California when that happened. It was an un- that was an unbelievable day too because that was in the middle of like the best stretch of baseball from 2021 or maybe the second yeah. best. I would argue that stretch where they just go to Boston and they go to Toronto and basically clinch their playoff spot. I think that might have been the best part of the season just because it was against rivals and it yeah. was oh, I guess the Red Sox was against rivals too. But at Yankee Stadium, not that I expect to win those games. But it's different to get a Fenway sweep in, national television, all that stuff. But you know what? I'll th- I think both those moments, uh, and both really to the Red Sox technically, uh, but we'll both, I'll throw those two out there. We've waged a lot of war with Red Sox fans. I mean, like definitely in the last year, I think they've become very hostile. Like I'd lump in the, when I made the point that Otani probably is not going to want to move to Boston. And suddenly I was like attacked from all corners. Will, you've gotten into a lot of one-on-one debates with uh one of those guys. What was the guy's name? We're not even going to talk about him. But yeah, I'm I not. Wanna... I'm not. I know who you're talking about. I'm not mentioning them. Not happening. Right, I, fair I do want to point out that from the time that we started getting all the Connor Wong blowback to the end of the season, he was worth negative 0.1 WAR. He had a 61 WRC plus, and the Red Sox went 22 and 36. So, I'm not saying I made that happen. I was also right about. Jaron Duran that he would significantly regress because his BABIP was like 412 like dude the 
it was so easy to be right about the Red Sox this year and Red Sox fans who were either blinded by delusion or shackled by their own stupidity, which is inherent to them. Let's remember. I don't think my fiance who's a Red Sox fan heard me say that. Um, just couldn't, couldn't grasp it. And I'm very proud of, of the victories that we were able to, to capture there. Yeah, I also and- want to point out there are four Four very respected outlets that have also graded the Yankees' farm system over the Red Sox' farm system. So that's a little victory lap for me because I I I fought that war. You're a the prospects bit. guy. I mean, I mean, you guys remember the like the Yankees can't trade for Juan Soto takes and like the you know yep. I, I'm just you know just throwing that all out there. But, but uh, uh, oh yeah, Whipple, you had a tweet it. about that. Yeah, Where, and, and you were like the Yankees like, have to give every good player they've ever had a way to get Juan Soto, and the Red Sox can get away with this. Yeah, yeah, I remember no, those trade yeah. proposals. It was also I was like the Yankees farm system will be as good as Tampa or Baltimore's next year, and everyone was like, "That's the craziest." I think Red Sox fans were like, "No, that's impossible." Yeah. <laughs> but it anyway, is great. the The Red Sox being so bad, the Yankees had the worst season they have had in any of our lifetimes, and we're still better than the Red Sox. Like this is it is a glorious thing when the Red Sox are bad, and some people want their rivals to be like competitive. I if the Red Sox never score another run in the rest of the existence of their franchise, it can't come soon enough. Like I, I hate that team with every fiber of my being. And I think it is so great that in the worst season we could have even fathomed for the Yankees, we still got to dunk all over Red Sox fans and all over Red Sox Twitter and all over the Boston Red Sox for months on end. I think if, Anything is proof that there's a higher power. That might be it. Me showing up at the popcorn opening day 2024 to watch the Netflix documentary. I am here for it. I'm so, or 2025. I'm so excited. All right. My second pick is going to be our interview with Eric Jagailo and Jake Cave in winter 2022. Go Irish. That was, I think, another moment where I was like, wow, this is like, crazy why am i doing this why are we doing this this is like we should not be allowed to talk to these people <laughs> and it was a great conversation i we learned so much we i that was the only time after a podcast i like had to sit on the couch and like like lower the like blood pressure and adrenaline because i was like it was so awesome to talk to them they were really cool it was not just like an empty ball player interview they had so many great insights they really gave us some great insights into the Yankees minor league system and their own experiences. And Jake Cave is still playing for the Phillies. I mean, watching the NLCS, seeing Jake Cave, like that's pretty cool to have had them on our podcast um, before, you know, he kind of, well, for Jake Cave's case, kept playing in the majors. And to have a former first round pick of the Yankees, like not something. Drafted before Aaron Judge. Drafted before Judge. I didn't think we'd be doing that when we started this. So another really like, eye-opening this is real and we're not just like you know messing around with microphones moment yeah we had a guy who was picked before Aaron Judge and a guy who has like a 1.5 career OPS against Trevor Bauer so that's like I don't know what you could have that's better than that um that was a ton of fun go Irish shout out Eric Chigailo um shout out Jake Cave yeah that was really cool I'll pick the Hoodie Allen interview now. It was ridiculous. I just DM'd him on Instagram, and I was like, you should come on my podcast. And he was like, all right. Like, what a what a cool thing for him to do. And I'm a, I'm a 
people know I'm a huge hoodie Allen fan. I've been to like seven or eight of his concerts. Um, he sent me some unreleased music at the time uh, before his new album came out, like in advance of that interview that we got to talk about, which was really cool. I got to tell him that Cody Bellinger is Clay Bellinger's son, which was awesome because he said that Clay Bellinger was his favorite player, which was also awesome. So yeah, I got to I got to take the the interview with Hoodie Allen, which was super cool. Yeah, I think I was away or I think I was on vacation and I was like, oh, I can't be there. But I'm like, you know what? I like I shouldn't be there anyway. This is not my experience. So it all <laughs> out and probably one of our most listened to episodes, I'd imagine. Yeah. So, Brian, do you want to give another pick? Yeah, I wanted to throw in the uh, playoff preview we did before the wild card game, which I think would have been my first pick had we won the wild card game. Yeah. Um, but it was a super fun episode. It was also like the day before my birthday, if I remember. So that yep. was pretty cool, too. Um, it was so, yeah, that is the last piece of recorded audio out before I turned 17 years old. That was the last piece of recorded audio as a 16 year old. So, yeah, I don't. Also, it was just cool because, like, you know. I, I, had, I think I'd mentioned around that time, like, hey, like, again, I'd been starting out high school, new high school, listening to all these episodes. And it's just kind of like, all right, instead of listening to the episode and, you know, I'm a part of it now. Like, it was pretty cool. I want, again, wanted to throw up the first one, but I just feel like that's cliche. Like, I feel like, you know, that's kind of like an obvious, that's a, that's fair. you know, yeah. Yeah, our playoff previews were, I think both years that the Yanks were in the playoffs were pretty rowdy. Like, definitely. They did, yeah. Um, so, I, I mean, you can't go wrong with, I think the biggest games we've we've covered and we saw a playoff series win as a, as a podcast and we've seen we're one for three, but here's hoping we expand on that this year. I think the odds are hopefully good. Um, I think we will. So my last pick is kind of uh, more of a broader pick, but it's in a smaller sense, like meeting people like Ryan and all the other people of Yankees Twitter. But I think in a larger sense, like Yankees files really changed the way like I had probably you follow baseball and specifically did it after COVID, which I think like for me, baseball is like pre-COVID, post-COVID. Pre-COVID, it was like I was in college, just kind of like enjoying games, like whenever I had the chance. And during COVID, I think I realized like how much I missed it and how important this was. And 2020 season just did not feel normal. And I think going into 2021 with this like, okay, I'm like really going to rededicate. And then you called about the podcast. So that was like another form of rededication. But the rededication coming through Twitter, meeting people like Ryan, people like Joey, people like Mario at the games. I mean, I know we both met them. Um, people just like in the bleachers at Yankee Stadium and the bars in Baltimore, but just like interacting with people. Like that was not my Twitter experience before Yankees Files. It was just like scroll through Twitter and see like what, you know, River Out Blue said about the game. So I would say just like the personal interactions just completely on a day-to-day basis and then in some cases in person changing the way that I watch baseball like that is to me is like the the thing that I look back like you know it's the same team but like the way I watch and interact and like enjoy it is so much different and take a lot more fun I think I'll pick kind of the other side of that coin which is part of my like thesis for why Yankees Files made sense initially for me and then very quickly for us was we do this anyway. Like I was on my personal Twitter tweeting about Gary Sanchez in 2016. Like it was nobody read Yeah, you you had a blog. Like it was in 2012. Like this is we this would happen anyway. Conversations between us would happen anyway. Like I distinctly remember 
at the beginning of 2017, a conversation we had where I was like, they could have spent money on anyone and they picked a role this Chapman. Like, don't they realize they're not going to be good this year? And of course I was wrong about that, but like these, these conversations were happening. And I think, you know, I, I put together that video from last week's episode where I just stitched together like all the names we said and it was like Mickey Mantle, Tyro Estrada, Joe DiMaggio, like, you know, and so on and so forth. And I posted it on Twitter with what I think people probably interpreted as a tongue-in-cheek comment that was really a genuine comment, which was like, if this video isn't evidence that I do this podcast for me, like, I don't know what would be. Um, Like, this is just, I think, above anything else with this being like, I don't know if you even call it a side hustle for us. Like it's like a passion project maybe is the the right phrase. This is, I think it's just really cool that we are two people who've been talking to each other about baseball for what, like 16 years now, 17 years. And now we're documenting it and putting it on the internet. And like this stuff is going to live as long as we do. And we're going to be able to go back and look at, Hey, you know, what was it like when the Yankees were the best team in baseball in the first half of 2022 and how were we thinking and talking about it? And, you know, now as we've layered in like life stuff, you know, we have you in law school and me getting married and all this stuff. Like, I think it's cool that we are building through the lens of baseball, a log of like how we went through our twenties to an extent. Like, I don't think we should undersell that. Like, that's kind of a sick thing that we're doing. And it's also like a line of demarcation between us and like the Ryan Garcias of the world who do this professionally and with career aspirations. But like, I, th- I think it's cool. I, I like really appreciate that as part of what we're doing here. I'm the one who goes for that tax. So I, <laughs> I'm very impressed. I'm the one who's like emotional and sentimental. So I, I really well, we're flipping, we're reversing the roles here, right? You're hosting the podcast. And I'm being emotional. Ryan, do you have any last thoughts on anything else to add? Yeah, so I don't have a final pick, but what I did want to say was, you know, you talked about like watching your, you know, watching you two grow up and watching you two kind of, you know, go through the stages of life. I, I, it was an insane moment to find out about a proposal and and see you guys, you know, going through law school, all that stuff, you know, seeing you two take this from just like, uh, I mean, at first it just started as, yeah, just an audio recording, you know, talking, blabbing, talking about the Yankees, whatever it may be. And you've got video, you've got, uh, I think one of the best Twitter accounts on Yankee Twitter in terms of just interacting Thank with you. fans going at it. You know, there are not a lot of people who just tweet what they want to say and what they feel and what they think about the Yankees. And you guys are one of the few who do it. So <laughs> there's, I think there's a lot of value that in any space when it comes to talking about a sports team. And, and you know, I, I've had this conversation with some people before where it's like, people always want you to feel one way about a baseball team or a sports team or in life in a broader sense, people always want you to feel or think one certain way. And it's not always, not always you just want to be a contrarian, but more so in the sense of, you know, it's good to kind of say what you believe and not say what you think is right, which I think there's a fundamental difference between that. And I think that this podcast kind of embodies that difference between say what you believe and not just what people think is right. Thank you, Ryan. I mean, I, I second all of these things from Will and I appreciate your, you know, your support, Ryan. I mean, we definitely could not do this without the credibility that you and other guests provide. And for me, I mean, as a future attorney, like this definitely has helped my public speaking. Like 
I, I don't think it's without question. Like I feel more comfortable. Like I would not be able to host this on episode five. Like, I feel like I have yeah. grown to the point where I could actually do this. And it definitely has paid I'm off. I'm glad the Ben and Tendoff isn't happening today. Yeah, the <laughs> Ben and Tendoff is a very raw version of me pre-law school. Like, this, it would be different. So if there's another... I would get cooked, I think. <laughs> you, it would definitely be more of a fair fight. But yeah, I mean, I'm just... I'm excited to see what it's like at 200 episodes because I think it's been quite quite a journey. Um, one honorable mention on a non-sentimental note that I feel like we have to at least shout out because we're all there. The Twitter space when we found out Bader and Montgomery got traded for each other <laughs> was that like was the, unbelievable. Oh God, I, it was such a like great vibes, and then we're all just like we didn't know what to say for like twenty minutes, and then cut the space. I think. <laughs> yeah, I remember. I was I was with my parents in Florida, and I was like pacing around my bedroom. On the space, as you said, great vibes. We get the Bader Montgomery news. And yeah, I was just, I had no idea what to make of it. I was furious, first of all, because the, like, the first tweet was like, you know, Harrison Bader to the Yankees for Jordan Montgomery. The second tweet is like, Harrison Bader is going to be in a walking boot for the next six and a half weeks. And it's like, it's like you just, you put Luis Severino on the 60 day and now you're doing this. Like what, what is yeah. going on here? I feel like the only time in these three years where I feel like my brain just like short circuited. Yeah. So I, I feel like we had to shout that out. Any other moments before we start talking real ball? Let's talk ball. All right. Well, the Yankees are in spring training and I heard they're pretty good. They have this guy, uh, Ryan, you know, I know you're a prospect guy. You do some deep analysis. Have you ever heard of Juan Soto? Like, do you know what he's going to add to the team? Pretty young. Yeah, I so think. I'm hoping his age 25 season, he can be pretty good. You know, you know, this is typically the time we want to, it's kind of make it or break it. You know what I mean? Um, I know he's had a couple good years in the past, but I mean, it can't be that good. So, I mean, Brian Cashman's a good player. So, you know, yeah. Fingers Ryan, crossed. can you think of any other corner outfielders entering their age 25 season for the New York Yankees on teams that were coming off unimpressive seasons who turned out to be really, really good. It's Aaron judge. Isn't it? I can, I can think of That's one I can think of for sure. But the, I mean, Juan Soto on the Yankees, I think is like absolutely crazy. I still have a hard time believing he's a Yankee. And given that we're going to spring training, I think the natural inclination is like we could talk for we could talk for a long time about how great Juan Soto is. What I want to do today in this hundredth episode is provide the guide for the people who they know about Juan Soto, they know about Aaron Judge, they know about Garrett Cole, but I want to provide the guide for what they should look for. Kind of not players, maybe some players they haven't heard of, but things that they should look for that aren't necessarily like surface level like this is going to be a huge story in spring training and so there's a few things that i put together that i wanted to talk about involving some players we haven't heard of some players we have heard of but just things to watch with them and then i open the floor to anything you guys want to add i know with the three of us we always you know the first 30 minutes show that we'll go off tangents and the yankees are great like there's so many exciting things to talk about i think this first week has solidified like how fun this season is going to be the mindset just seems like they're all unified in the same direction so i think it's gonna be a very positive episode but i want to bounce around to a few places that might not be on the back page of the new york post 
just to talk about some things that fans, if they're watching spring training games, might keep their eye on. And we have the prospect guy, Ryan Garcia, on. So let's start with some prospects. And who better to start with than one of the favorites of, of both of, I think, everyone on this pod, but you guys specifically, Ben Rice. Because I think everyone knows Will Warren, Chase Hampton, you know, Spencer Jones, kind of the bigger names. But Ben Rice is definitely not a name that the casual fan has heard of. And he's a guy who could make an impact pretty soon. He was super impressive last year. He's got great exit velocity. He's got really good hitting ability. And the, the stats were there. It's just a matter of, is he going to repeat that next year? So, Ryan, what's the realistic impact that Ben Rice can make? Should we be expecting anything this year? Should we be optimistic about his place as a future Yankees catcher or first baseman? How should we think about Ben Rice? Rice, Rice, baby. <laughs> I, I just like Ben Rice is a guy I look at and I say like, there's just so many impressive skills. Like the raw power is pretty good. The game power translates really well because he pulls the ball in the air a ton. Um, and, and again, like when you pull the ball in the air a lot and you already make a pretty good quality of contact, that's going to result in a lot of home runs. That's what we saw in double A. Is he going to hit 16 home runs in 48 games at the major league level? Probably not. That's unrealistic for any, like that's an unrealistic expectation for any player. Um, but he certainly has really good game power. Um, you know, the, the play discipline is pretty good as well. Like he makes really good swing decisions. He's patient. Um, he'll, he'll strike in zone when he needs to. Um, in terms of just not hitting ground balls, that's also a fun one because you kind of think of like the prototypical power hitter. They kind of have either a flaw with putting the ball in the air or a flaw with contact and rice doesn't have either flaw so I, look i get it people are gonna say well he's 24 double a for a reason well that reason is because he went to dartmouth and that's an ivy league school and when he got drafted in 2021 there was no ivy league season so they had to scrap together some league and they didn't really get the same college experience in terms of playing and that's compounded with not playing in 2020 so really he didn't get to play properly organized baseball for two years he had a really injury riddled season in 2022 he has, I think, 163 professional games played with a very small sample size of college play. So, you know, this is a guy who doesn't have a lot of reps above the high school level. He's not not saying you should look at him the way you look at like a 19-year-old or a 20-year-old, but you should look at him as an inexperienced player who, as soon as he got to the professional scene, immediately tore up the minor leagues, right? I know that projections aren't everybody's favorite, but when you're running, when your 80th percentile outcome as a prospect is a 127 OPS plus, and you have not played above AAA, I'm impressed, right? I'm not saying eight, you can look at an 80th percentile outcome and say that's definitely happening, but it's still within the realm of possibility. And if a 127 OPS plus is in the realm of possibility for a left-handed first baseman in the New York Yankees, you're going to get giddy, right? And I really, I know that he he's, uh, a catcher coming through the system. He's going to transition to first base most likely. They have Augustine Ramirez and Austin Wells. I highly doubt that Rice defensively outplays either of the two. Um, and of course, you kind of want to take your time with catchers defensively because you want to get them a lot of reps. We saw a patient. They were at Wells. They took a while with him. It wasn't because the bat wasn't ready. It was just because they wanted to make sure the glove was ready. I think the Yankees look at Ben Rice and say, yeah, just learn a position. And it's probably first base. And just we want you to just play Major League Baseball as soon as possible. I think he could be an impact hitter for this team at some point in the second half, maybe even the first half. Like I'm, I'm not trying to be like crazy here, but I mean, a 108 median outcome on zips for your WRC plus, that's pretty damn good. Right. And I know that median outcomes, people always look at that and say, well, that means Ben Rice is supposed to put up a 108 WRC plus. No, that means it's just as likely he performs under as he performs over that mark. Um, and we'll have to wait and see obviously how the talent plays and how everything translates, but Man, it's just hard for me to not look at him and say, this is the exact kind of hitter you would want in the middle of your lineup, especially at Yankee Stadium. 
Yeah, Ryan, I feel like Will, that you're... I'm oh, sorry. I was going to say, this is like your ideal player, Will. Hit the ball in the air, hit it hard. He's He's like Jake Bowers, but he strikes out less. And that's like... Like, that's Jake Bauer's problem, right? Like, he could be a phenomenal player, at least the, like, renewed version who now beats the hell out of the ball. Um, like, the the question with him, he was great on a barrels-per-batted ball basis. He was not as good on a barrels-per-plate appearance basis because he just wasn't very good at putting the bat on the ball. Ben Rice just destroys the ball, and he makes a lot more contact, and he's walked, like, what? Like a crazy, I mean, he walked almost 10% of the time in double A. He was walking crazy amounts of the time before that, which I think you hope to see from guys who you want to project good plate discipline because those pitchers don't throw strikes. Ryan, you found the stat, or if you didn't, I'm going to give you credit for it, that Ben Rice is one of what, like five or six players that Steamer projects to have an above average WRC plus of guys who haven't played in triple A yet. Um, yeah, I think who was something crazy like that. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah but it been. it's could've still been. an insane thing to look at because again, this is a guy who a year ago we would look at him and say, yeah, he's in single A in twenty three, like pass. You know what I mean? Uh, and the Yankees have thought really highly of this guy for a while. They really do believe that Ben Rice can be an impact hitter for this team. This isn't like a fun niche prospect that, like, you look at the stats, you go, oh, this guy has some fun stats, and you kind of hope that it translates to another successful year. This is a guy who the Yankees have already kind of stamped, and the Yankees are very selective with that, right? Peraza, they're not going to just play him because Yankee Twitter tells them to, right? They're not going to just play Esteban Florial. I mean, it literally took every center fielder getting hurt for them to say, fine, we'll play Florial. You know what I mean? It was yeah. kind of like a. Eh, whatever, you know, like I think they, I think at that point they might have just done it just to shut some people up. Um, they probably tried think... to bring back Ryan Lamar at some point. Yeah, in I'm, <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, I, I'm, I'm not gonna sit here and say the Yankees are this all knowing power and they know everything, but like how many times have they been just outright wrong about a player or a prospect in terms of their outcome, especially in recent years? The one guy that stands out is Tyro Estrada, that's the one guy you're like, that's a miss, right? But I mean, even then, it's a it's a glove-first approach and at a position at second base. wasn't going to play shortstop for the Yankees long-term. It's a position at second base where it's like, I understand choosing Glaber Torres over Thyro Estrada, and I would still choose Glaber Torres over Thyro Estrada, especially for this lineup. Like, they, they need guys who can be bat-first players. Um, yeah. You know, you look at, again, look at the trades they've made. When they traded Hayden Wesneski for Scott Efros, I know that Efros hasn't pitched much, but it's not like Wesneski's been, you know, this, this world beater with the Cubs where you're like, why did the Yankees trade this guy? Waldachuk, Sears, uh, Medina even. I was, I, I'm kind of stunned that they traded Waldachuk and Medina and Sears all in the same deal. And I'm kind of looking at the chance saying, I mean, most of these guys would have been like 40-man casualties. Like, could you imagine yeah. losing, um, you know, could you imagine losing Eonjis Gomez or Luis Heal because you want to roster um, a, a guy like J.P. Sears? And I'm not saying Sears is, is bad, but he's not going to amount to much if he doesn't, you know, fix a lot of things that he hasn't fixed yet, right? And he is an older guy, so... I think they want to avoid a situation like losing Garrett Whitlock, let's say, to the Rule 5 draft. And I think they've done a much better job at that. Ben Rice, he's stamped in the organization. This is a guy that they believe in. And I think when if Brian Cashman and that, that scouting department tells me, yeah, you know, we believe in this guy. We think he's a top 10 hitter of the organization. That's what their hitting coordinator said. I have no reason but to believe that he's going to get playing time and that he's going to be at least – he's got the, the chance to be a really impact player. So you think Make he's going to at all this spring or is, do you think he's just going to go to first? I think he'll catch. Like I've, he's he's put on catching gear, and I, I think they're gonna try to catch him. I think they're gonna let him still like work on that. But I think, I mean, if something were to happen to Rizzo, God forbid, or if something were to happen, even I mean, we're even looking at twenty twenty five. 
you know, I don't think they're going to be like, oh, wait, we got to make sure you can catch. Let's let's get the catching reps in. They're going to say, we need that bat here ASAP. And it's a good chance he starts out in AAA. The only reason he's not on the 40-man roster is because the Yankees are very meticulous with who they put on the 40-man roster. They're not going to put you on there unless you're Rule 5 eligible or in the case of Anthony Volpe last year, you're about to play for the team. So, uh, yeah, they're, they're, he's not on the 40-man roster yet. Um, he'll be there as soon as he's Rule 5 eligible, which is next winter or even sooner, right? Like if, you know... Again, something happens. I wouldn't be surprised if he's the first man up. And I would love to also see him get some DH reps too. Stan looks a little more nimble, a little more athletic and all that stuff. I'm athletic. I don't like using that word because they're all athletes. And, you know, if Stan and I were to have a foot race or a lifting competition, he would crush me. Uh, so, and he might Wait, you don't lift as much as Giancarlo Stanton? Yeah, <laughs> surprisingly. No, I just, I want, I, I always, like, I always, whenever I say like athletic, I try to like throw in the disclaimer of, by the way, if you're a fan saying this, there's a good chance you're not as athletic as these players. So let's not let's let's try to avoid using the words these guys aren't athletic. Let's use the words maybe they they're more athletic. You know, you know what I'm saying? I try to always be careful with that because again, like I sometimes just see people online. They're like, yeah, this guy, this guy doesn't work hard. This guy, oh, this guy's unathletic. And it's like it's more athletic than we've any of us in this conversation. You know what I mean? Not even close. Yeah, I, I feel like the correlation of saying you're unathletic like directly correlates to like how much you sit on the couch and like how much <laughs> you eat, how many beers you're drinking. So, um, but I mean, it's funny because I feel like if a year ago, like, you know, Ben Rice compared to like Everson Pereira, I feel like stock up for Rice, stock down for Pereira. It just his rise is so quick. I don't feel like you could have like gotten money on that a year ago. It's, it's really he has come out of nowhere. And I, I think you're right in that like. He's going to be, I think he'll be a guy by the end of this year, right? Like, he's got to go we on the talk about, Can we talk about the Pereira question? Yeah, let's talk about Pereira. What's, what's because on what's going to happen? I, like, it's, to me, it's sick that Everson Pereira came up and did hit some baseballs, like, really hard. Like, what, he maxed out at, like, 112 miles an hour or something, which is faster than, like, a lot of good major league players but he basically refused to hit the ball in the air and the concerns about his contact were like as well founded as those concerns could possibly have been like everything we were worried about with everson pereira i think we saw with everson pereira what do you make of that ryan like how how should we be evaluating this guy? Because from a tools perspective, like you can see the raw power. We didn't really see the game power because he was putting the ball on the ground a lot. You can see the speed. You can see that he's a, a capable outfielder, but the hit tool is really concerning. The plate discipline wasn't great. Even from like a willingness to take walks perspective, the batted ball profile was ugly. I know there are some lists that still like him a good amount. How do you, how are you thinking about Pereira? Do you think there's a a path for him to capture those tools and become a productive player or you know did his stint in the majors expose just kind of who he is when he faces that level of competition? Yeah, so my biggest concern is actually the playing time. I don't think Arison Pereira's really got a window of opportunity unless something sure. unforeseen happens with the Yankees injury-wise and I'm not saying it can't I'm just saying it would, again, take a lot. And if you're relying on, all right, you, you need two outfielders to go down. You need Dominguez to not come back for a really long time. You need Jones to just stink and not surpass him in the depth chart. Um, you know, I, I think that the issue is just going to be 
they're not going to find there's not going to be much of a window of opportunity. Uh, but as it pertains to just who he is as a player, um, yeah, the contact skills were obviously way behind, right? Like you, if you were yeah. to grade out his hit tool, you might push it towards a 20. Like their Fangrass is another 30. 20 is about as low as it gets a 20, 80 scale. So when you're at 30, when you're just one standard deviation above the worst you could be, it's not good. Um, but again, the power, it's just, it's hard for me to write him off because the one thing he's unbelievable at is arguably the most important thing for establishing your ceiling. The ability yeah. to do damage on a baseball is not just – his His is not just good. It's arguably unmatched. He had the highest exit velocity tied with Spencer Jones. The guy's 6'6", six, six, by the way. Spencer Jones, almost a foot taller than Everson Pereira. Um, <laughs> you know, in 93.8 miles an hour on average for an entire uh, minor league season, that's about – I think he played 80-something games, which, again, that's like half major league season, but relative to a minor league year. That's unbelievable, right? You look at that and you say, oh, my God, right? Like, this guy could be really good. And, you know, you mentioned the swing decisions – or, no, excuse me, the plate discipline. The strikeouts and walk numbers were not good. Like, don't get me wrong, yeah. those were ugly. But the actual swing decisions themselves, I actually – so there's this metric called Seager, which was developed by Robert yep. Orr of Baseball Prospectus. His Seager score is ridiculous. It is really, is it really, really good. Yeah, so I, if you look at it, minimum guys who had 100 plate appearances because you have to – you have to lower it to a point where you would get Pereira to qualify. Everson Pereira is ninth in all of baseball. Only Aaron Judge was ahead of him. His Whoa. swing decisions are like he swings a lot in zone and his chase rate is right around average. I know people naturally assume okay. passive is good, but I do think aggressiveness should be valued more. I think people undervalue aggression. Being a guy who doesn't chase more than the league average, but swings in zone 80% of the time, basically is some super valuable when you get a pitch to handle and you swing at it. That's great. The problem is he comes up and he swings and misses, right? Like it doesn't, so he's, he is swinging chances. at pitches that he ought to be able to do damage right. on. So he's just, yeah. Okay. He's capable. So here's kind of the, the thing. It's do you swing at pitches you can handle do you, and can you do damage with those pitches? Yes. Yes. But the problem is, does he do not can't it, it's the actual yeah. outcomes are not there for him at the major league level. Again, I'm not sitting here and saying everybody's got to start putting their stock in Everson Pereira. Uh, what I'm saying is the two skills to look at offensively and say, how good are you going to be? Are probably play discipline and power. Um, hit tool obviously really matters, and, and that's the thing he, he struggles the most at. But I think you can get away with a subpar mid tool, uh, hit tool, or uh, a below average hit tool if your power and play discipline are really good. And his are. He just needs to be like a 30% strikeout guy. I, I would even say yeah. he could be a successful hitter at that clip. Um, but yeah, that's my I just, favorite kind of tantalizing. And yeah, he's he's kind of the most fun kind of player in the sense of like the guy will go out there and hit a ball 114 miles an hour and it'll like go straight to the outfield wall and you blink and you miss it. I remember I went to a game in Somerset, uh, not in Somerset, excuse me, in Binghamton against Somerset Patriots. And on the first play of the game, because they're the away team, Pereira hits a double, a rocket. He slides the second. He was clearly safe. The umpire calls him out and then he gets thrown out. So, you know, probably the most like he's he's just a fun player. He's a fun guy. Uh, I, I just the hit tool has to develop. And I just don't know if the opportunities are going to come in the organization. Hey, that's a that's a good thing for the Yankees. You're so good that one of your better outfield prospects might never play for you. So, yeah. Put Ryan, a stake I, in the ground here. Who's going to be better in the major league season in 2026? Everson Pereira or Teoscar Hernandez? 
I, I, you know, I'm going to go, I'll say Teoscar because he's yeah. the more established major leaguer and because he just went to the Los Angeles Dodgers. So he's about to figure something out about it. He's going to learn things about himself. He didn't know. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, uh, he already hit a ground rule double today and the Dodgers are going to celebrate their one fourteen to one. So, I mean, it's, I'm not saying they're going to win the world series. It's not one of those like, Oh, the Dodgers are going to win it all. It's all over. But it's one of those like, yeah, you know, like it's, that's a pretty good start to your spring trance, a nice vibes kickoff to your season. Brian, I actually the prayer stuff makes me think of something, an interesting question. So I think a lot of fans, there's like a split where, you know, some people are like, oh, yeah, like Peraza and Pereira, that should be the headline of every trade package. And some are like, well, that's ridiculous. They've struggled in the majors. No one's going to want them. What's like, you know, should we penalize Peraza and Pereira for coming up and not having major league success? Like, or if they don't have success this spring training, do you think that gets penalized? Maybe not we, but like, talent evaluators and teams looking at them in trades like do you think that will negatively impact their trade value or is it you know the long-term stuff the tools is that more important like how should we view their lack of success in the majors when evaluating them as players that's a really good question uh so obviously i think there's a big gap between public and private perception and i think the thing is just that I think teams are less excited about Peraza's defense than we've always been. It's always been like, this guy's going to come up and if he played shorts up for a full year, he's going to contend for a gold glove. And it was always Volpe will never be that. And then Volpe won a gold glove in his first season. So it was like, huh, it's a little bit weird, right? The problem with projecting defense and when you're a defense over hit type of prospect is we have like actual data to evaluate your offensive success at the minor league level. What do we have to evaluate your defense, number one? And number two, um, you know, are tools more important than defensive production at the minor league level? Again, and production that we can't actually evaluate. Sure, I know baseball prospectus has some defensive numbers. And, you know, don't get me wrong, I, I, I do at least look at them. Uh, but we know they're not even close to a perfect painting of the picture. Because even at the major league level, we don't really fully understand defensive value the way we understand offensive value. So Peraza's case is always going to be weird. Look, I, I think the Yankees are better off starting him out in AAA. I know that sounds unpopular, but they're going to want to get him full-time reps. They want him to be, you know, prepared and getting ready and all that stuff. He does have some interesting tools because he does hit the ball, like, decently hard at times. He's shown the ability to hit the ball over 112 miles per hour. You're just kind of like, why can't he do it more consistently? I wish he could, and I kind of hope he, he leans into his power because if you look at his best years at the minor league level – it's not striking out 13% of the time. It's like a 21 to 22% strikeout rate, which, you know, when you look at the lower levels and minors, you're going to expect that number to get, you know, bigger as you get to the major league levels, but also doing a ton of damage. He's not like a small guy. He's, if you look at him in pictures, if you look at him in frames, he's got a little bit on him, right? And he's still fast. He's still athletic. So, you know, I, I think teams are rightfully so not going to trade like Edward Cabrera for him. I'm not saying Edward Cabrera is a stud, but he's a controllable pitcher who has an above average ERA in his major league career. And has pretty good stuff. I understand where the Marlins are saying, hey, everybody wants pitching and everybody's paying so much for pitching. We're not just taking Pereira and Peraza for that. Um, but I also understand from the Yankees' perspective, why sell low on a player who you have minor league options on? These two guys can always just start out in AAA, build up their value a little bit potentially, and then maybe you see you know, what teams are looking for at the deadline or what teams are willing to trade for. Even trading Oswald Peraza for two to three years of a solid reliever is a huge win for the organization because it's trading a player that you weren't playing for something you might need at the time. Uh, and in Pereira's case, I would even argue the same thing. And I'm, I'm going to throw this out there. I think Pereira has a better chance of rebuilding his value because he's younger, number one. And number two, you can legitimately just chalk up his struggles to the guy got called up. I mean, last year, all that talk about like the lack of 
proper communication that kind of confused minor league players. Um, you know, it is definitely different to go from like, all right, this is an organization that was built on the hitting philosophies that Dylan Lawson sent set to the Yankees actively fired Dylan Lawson and brought in a guy who was as different as from Dylan Lawson as they could possibly get. Like that's confusing. That's going to confuse guys. And Pereira's like, we're in an age now where there are players who have legitimately played professional baseball only under the guise of uh, the guide of analytics and, and advanced data and, and forward, you know, modern thinking philosophies, you know, when, uh, Everson Pereira comes up and he's probably told something that I'm not saying is harmful, but may be foreign to him because it's not what he's used to. That's going to throw you off. Like if I'm taught to do something one way, I think anybody with any, any experience with any work, I'm not even saying like some big time job, any job at all, when you're told to do something one way, and then you're told to do it in an entirely different way that affects your performance. So I definitely think Pereira has a chance to rebuild his value a little bit. Peraza, I'm lower on than I've probably ever been just because we're in year three of this and he still hasn't been traded or given a full-time job. So yeah. I just, he have a fourth option. Can you shed light on that? For because... I thought it was an injury thing and he wasn't really injured. I think it has something to do with like his minor league games. Everybody who like everybody who had minor league games that they should have played in 2020 probably got somewhat affected by this rule because the way the fourth, op- that fourth option works is you have, to, if you don't play an X amount of games or you don't play a certain percentage, whatever it may be, you get a fourth option. And a lot of guys like Luis Hill got hurt. So obviously he wasn't playing as much as he would have. Uh, Peraza 2020 happened, right? Uh, that rule really came into effect. And that really rules really become prominent because we lost an entire minor league season to the COVID pandemic. Okay. That, I, I assumed it was something around that, but I mean, I think it would all, this would all look a lot different if he didn't have a fourth option. So definitely makes a big impact for him. I want to shift a little bit to the pitching side because you kind of broached it earlier, but when we were talking about this before that the Yankees have done a really good job identifying, you know, what pitchers to hold and what pitchers to deal. And we saw that more this year where the Yankees traded a a bevy of pitchers for Juan Soto. And we don't know how those pitchers are going to pan out, but we kind of see that same calculus that they made, you know, by trading Waldachuk and Wisniewski two years ago, they, you know, last year, kind of making that same decision, who they're going to keep, who they're going to trade. And they've put their chips in the Will Warren and Chase Hampton basket. And, you know, I know they're prospects, but they, the Yankees have rotation spots open. And at least in Will Warren's case, it looks like he at least could have an impact on the major league team this year. So I guess I have like two questions. One, which of those two do you think is going to make the biggest impact this year? And two, is there something that the Yankees are missing in terms of like converting these prospects coaching them up the Hamptons while the Chucks Warrens coaching them up into prospects but then it doesn't seem like any of them have gotten across the line to become really good major league starters is there something missing or is it just you know individual fallings like do you how do you see that or is that not even a shortcoming like is it just these guys haven't had time yet and three, yes. how confident are you that either Chase Hampton or Will Warren will have a better major league career than Drew Thorpe? Ooh, those are okay. So I like that last one a lot because that's that's I've been thinking I before even the trade of Thorpe, I, I had kind of been thinking about that for a while. Um, so as it pertains to the first question, kind of regarding Warren or Hampton, who's gonna have more impact just in 2024, I'll go Warren because he's the guy who is older, more uh, minor league exp- experience, um, more minor league success, has established himself in AAA already. Um, and I think he's kind of just ready to go. Like, I think the Yankees could start him out in the rotation. Like, how many teams have a fifth starter better than Will Warren is kind of a question I thought about 
And I've just looked at the AL East and, you know, I would say, you know, Manoa, you would probably pick him over pedigree for the Blue Jays. You can make it like, I'm not going to sit here and say, how could the Blue Jays take like a guy who like, you know, almost won a Cy Young and is their homegrown guy over like Will Warren. I understand that. Don't get me wrong. Um, you know, you look at the Rays, not that, you know, the Rays are kind of like cheat codes. So you just kind of assume all of their starters are going to do something like the Orioles right now. Like, would I take Will Warren over Kroll Irvin? Yeah. Like pretty handedly, I'll take a guy who can get strikeouts over a guy who can't. Um, and that's already a team you're competing with in the American League East. So if I have a better like seventh starter than their fifth starter, I feel good about that. Uh, and then in regards to, you know, the, the lack of guys coming up and, and, and doing things for the major league team, I think it's just a matter of opportunities. You know, I, I don't mean this to say that Brian Cashman doesn't value prospects, but, you know, when it's the middle of July and it's like the media, everyone's talking about what you're going to do at the deadline. You have a team that, you know, in 2021 was kind of treading water and a team in 2022 who looked like they were the, like the greatest Yankee team we'd seen since 2009. You have decisions to make and you can't let Ken Waldachuk stop you from getting Frankie Montas. And you can't let, you know, JP Sears or, you know, Luis Medina or, you know, Drew Thorpe stop you from getting Juan Soto. You can't let players whose median outcomes aren't being superstars or star caliber players players stop you from getting star caliber players. That's that's the way Brian Cashman's always looked at it. That's the way I think that is the, it's the right way to look at it. And when you have a talented farm system and can, I mean, I'm not trying to say the 2022 draft class is this roaring success because they haven't played games yet. But when you draft three top 100 prospects in one draft class, one of them turns into part of the deal for Juan Soto. And the other two are like two of your, maybe your two best prospects, not named Jason Dominguez. You feel pretty good about yourself. Um, you know, I, I think that it's just a matter of not having opportunities. Where has there been a situation for them to go to a rookie starter is kind of where my headspace is at. Schmidt, like if it wasn't for like two guys, no, three guys getting hurt last year. I don't know if Schmidt makes the opening day rotation. I know Brito was a rookie starter who, you know, made the opening day rotation. But again, it took Rodon, it took Montas, it took Severino all getting hurt. So, you know, I, I think the Yankees are more so in a situation where they're always in contention windows. It's kind of hard for them to say, here, Ken Wallachuk, take the ball every fifth day and just kind of come up. They're, they're going to think to themselves, if we're making a midseason addition, it's through the tra- it's through the trade market. It's not plus in playing a guy who has minimal minor league experience or no major league experience at all. And that last question about Thorpe, Warren, Hampton. So I think Thorpe is a cut. I think Thorpe and Hampton in terms of just talent are about a cut above Warren. I don't think it's like to the point where Warren isn't a factor, but I think Warren's more so like a fun back end top hundred prospect. Whereas I think Thorpe and Hampton must be on your list kind of situation. Sure. I will say this. Thorpe has an unbelievable changeup. But how many changeup first got starters are there in the league is kind of the question. They kind of have a track record of p- pitching really well at the minor league level and then getting to the major leagues and it's kind of up and down. Like Lucas Giolito might be the best example of a changeup first starter making it in the league, but we've seen the ups and downs there, right? Thorpe has everything there to be a good starter. The changeup, again, it's super good. There's a reason why the San Diego Padres demanded that both he and Michael King be involved in the deal, but I do have my questions there. For Chase Hampton, I think that his best pitch being his four-seam fastball kind of makes me a little more uh, inclined to pick him. Um, if you look, I, I wrote an article about this, and I compared his fastball to Garrett Cole's because Sam Breen, the pitching coordinator, that was compared to Chase Hampton. And in terms of stuff plus, which I was using Robert Frey's uh, stuff plus calculator, Enosaurus, I don't, if, from my understanding, doesn't have like a public calculator you can just plug pitch data into and get a number to spit out. And it's 180 for Hampton and 179 for Garrett Cole. I'm not saying Garrett Cole's fastball is worse than Chase Hampton's. Garrett Cole, his feel for his fastball, his command of the pitch, his sequencing, like it's all 
leagues better than any other pitcher, arguably, in Major League Baseball currently. So I'm not making that comparison. I'm just saying in terms of just looking at release height, movement, and velocity, his fastball is really good. Uh, he has a good cutter, good sweeper, good curveball, working on the changeup. I don't think he even needs that changeup that much because if he has a cutter, curveball, he'll be able to handle lefties fine. His upside is legit. Like, this is a guy who's sitting 94, 95 in the early parts of the year. As he got more stretched out because he only topped out like 50-something innings in college and stretched out to like 109 this year, if he can sustain that 94 to 95 instead of 92, 93 as it was in the second half, we're talking about a guy who, I mean, when I put in that stuff plus grade, that's with 93.3 as the average velocity. If I uptick that to like 94.3, you imagine the spin goes up. Usually when spin and velocity go up without a change in spin direction, induced vertical break goes up. Um, and it's not like his release height would change or anything like that. We might be talking about one of the best fastballs in all of baseball. So I think Chase Hampton, I'm not trying to make him, you know, seem like he's going to win a Cy Young or anything like that, but I'm really excited about him. There's a reason why the Yankees were made him a non-roster invite just one year into his major league career. You kind of get why Jones is there. It's Spencer Jones. There's a lot of hype yeah. there. You kind of got why Dominguez was there last year. It's Jason Dominguez, right? But it's interesting that Chase Hampton was there because Will Warren wasn't there last year and Will Warren was a pretty good pitching prospect. He was not an on-roster invite. He just kind of showed up for a couple of innings. This is a guy they really believe in. And this is a guy I really believe in. So I, I want any Yankee fan who looks at Chase Hampton, look at him and say, this is the guy who might have the best stuff we've seen from any pitching prospect. Looking at the entirety, the completion of their arsenal, coupled with some pretty good strike throwing abilities since like Luis Severino. Like that's, that's, I'm going to go that far. I think he might be their best pitching prospect since Severino. That's very exciting. Ryan, first of all, uh, that was an opportunity to plug your interview with Will Warren and uh yeah people should listen to that second yeah. of all whipple what i'd say to you is that i think you might be missing something that a lot of people miss in trade discourse which is how much do you care aside from like emotionally about the player when it comes to your evaluation of the new york yankees making a trade how much do you care about the career that jesus montero had in seattle you mean, do how much do I care now? Oh, I see what you're saying. No, I mean, I, I you I, don't really, right? Yeah, I'd be upset I if think, he like, did well, but like I don't care that much. Yeah, and I, I think when we're when we're so you you raise kind of the question of like player development and getting these pitchers across the line. Like I I would argue, and I do often argue on Twitter that if you trade a guy away and you get something valuable or you get something that you expect to be more valuable to you in the near term than that guy is, that's all you can do. And like, am I going to say, Oh, you know what? The Yankees are bad at developing pitchers because when they traded Hayden was to the Cubs, he didn't like tear it up. I'm, I'm probably not all that worried about that. And I also think like, these guys are getting to the brink of the major leagues and then changing systems, potentially changing philosophies, changing parks, you know, all this stuff. It's like, I don't, I personally, maybe I'm wrong about this, but I personally don't really see that as a reflection of the Yankees player development. I see what the other teams were willing to give up to get those guys as their assessment of the Yankees player development. And I think when you look at the guys that, the Waldachucks and Medinas and Wisniewski's uh, and Drew Thorpe's, of course, of the world have been traded for. That's that's what we're being told about how people perceive the Yankees' ability to develop pitchers. 
Yeah, no, that's a very fair point. And I, I 100% agree. I think, you know, the, the point I raise is the counterpoint. And it's the fact that the Yankees have traded so much pitching depth in the last three years. Like, we haven't really seen them put their chips in a guy like they're doing with Warren or Hampton. I mean, they could trade him. So it will be interesting to see because I think that is very valid. And the Yankees have gotten a lot of players who are good. Maybe they don't always play well with the Yankees, but the fact that they can coach these guys up out of nowhere is, I think, like you said, probably more impressive than the fact that they're not getting across the line with other teams. Um, Ryan, before we run out of time, I, I know we're talking a lot about prospects, and I think this team is going to have a lot of opportunities for those prospects. But I just want to briefly look at one or two of the veterans on the team just to kind of see what we should be looking for from them. And I think there's so much so many exciting pieces with the offense but definitely want to stick with the pitching because I think you kind of are the pitching guy and the Yankees pitching rotation has some questions and two guys that we aren't entirely sure about what they're going to do based off last year we know they're not hurt because this is a point of contention apparently we have to argue about Nestor Cortez being hurt when he's not but Nestor Cortez and Carlos Rodon what are you looking for them in their spring outings what would be kind of a successful 2024 for each of them and kind of what's your thought process on like how they're going to contribute to the team behind Garrett Cole. And is Carlos Rodon the most underrated player on the New York Yankees as they stand today? Yeah. So I would say, so for the Rodon point, I, I think that, you know, now that we've gotten closer to spring training, I think people have eased their, like, like their, their ire towards Rodon. I think a lot of people were, and, and understandably so angry about the production he had. And I wasn't happy with it. I wasn't like, yay, he has a six something ERA <laughs> and he, you know, blue kisses to fan or whatever. Like, I'm not saying I'm giddy up about it. Right. Honestly, I found the, like the blowing kiss to fan kind of funny. Like I think it was. was pretty funny. I wasn't you like, found it funny because it was funny. Yeah, it was. I mean, the team wasn't very good. It wasn't like, oh my God, this is why we are going to make the playoffs. It was kind of like, that's pretty funny. Um, but, you know, I, Rodon, you know, I'm, I feel confident he can pitch well because nothing regressed in terms of pitch movement, pitch velocity, or anything of the sort. That would be super concerning. If he was throwing like 93 in the season last year, you know, his fastball lost a bunch of ride, his slider lost a lot of movement, I'd be like, okay, press the panic button. Like, this is this is really bad, right? Like, this is awful. This is, like, exactly what you were scared of. You know what I mean? Um, and, and, you know, I'm not saying the same Rodon's going to bounce back. Everything's going to be perfect because you can't guarantee anything and you can't, guarantee, and you can't like, have a different opinion. Um, but I, I think you kind of have to look at him as he's healthy right now. And when he's healthy, he's very good, right? Until that changes, until his health changes, I'm going to just assume he's going to be very good because that's what I've seen him be. Like, that's the pitcher I've grown accustomed to knowing for Carlos Rodon. Um, and, and then as it pertains to Nestor Cortez, who, you know, I, I just, I found it crazy that like people think he would be cleared to throw live bullpen sessions while not healthy in spring training. Like, it's not a matter of, oh, my shoulder's feeling a little, it, it, like, not good. Let me keep throwing. Teams will not allow you to pick up a baseball. You know what I mean? You get shut down, right? Especially when it comes to the shoulder. Uh, and, and, you know, we saw with Montas last year. The Yankees didn't go, eh, just pitch through it. They're like, yep, you're getting surgery. You're done. We don't we don't care how bad it's going to look. You got to get surgery. It's done. You know what I mean? Um, There's for, a long for, history of the Yankees shutting guys down in spring training. Yeah, in a sense, it's weird. It's like the Yankees baby their players too much, and the Yankees also push them too hard. It's it's very, very, a very weird dynamic of like, oh, these guys are soft. They rest them too often, and why are they pitching through injury? It's That's a different conversation, though. Rodon well, you have to believe just, that everything the Yankees do is wrong. 
if you I mean, if you view the world through the lens of everything the Yankees do is wrong, regardless of what those things are, you will understand Yankees Twitter so much better. Yeah, I look, I, I try to like, I, I try to, you know, be, tiptoe the line of like, I don't want to just be optimistic for the sake of being optimistic. I want to have a reason to be optimistic. And I feel the same way about pessimism. I think you need to have a reason to feel either way. For Cortez and Rodon, as long as their velocity, their movement, everything there looks fine, they're healthy. I don't care if they give up 16 home runs in spring training in each start. As long yeah. as everything looks fine, command and uh, not even command, just movement wise, velocity wise, the command will get there at some point. Command takes a while to return, especially when talking about coming back from injury. I just care that the stuff and the health are there. If they're healthy before opening day and, and they're healthy through the first starts of the season, I'm going to feel really, really, really good about their outlooks for the season. Um, and then as it pertains to like kind of heating caution for both these guys, you know, as you kind of said, if you're just going to assume that what can go wrong will go wrong and that there are no such things as uh, good outcomes for the Yankees, like if you assume it'll always be median or below, then you're not really evaluating the team. You're just complaining, right? Like there's kind of a fundamental difference between I'm lower on John Carlos Stanton and I'm higher on Anthony Rizzo versus I think that every single projection system is wrong, except for when they project a player who's like played pretty well last year for the Yankees to play a lot worse. Like, yeah, I agree with projections. I disagree with projections, except when it says Marcus Stroman's ERA is going to be worse than last year. I disagree with projections or I agree with, I, I agree with projections, except when it says that like the entire Yankee offense will for the most part be a lot better than they were last year. You I agree with projections as long as they're about other teams, I think is right. one of the points of view we've seen. I, I just, you know, I just want to make sure that, you know, when we're looking at this season, you kind of, you kind of have to give these players a fair shot to perform, right? I mean, you, you always hear like the blowback when like Aaron Boone says something like we're hell bent on winning a world series. Yeah. Cause he's the manager of the team. What do you want him to say? Uh, I don't know. Maybe we'll make the ALDS this year. I'm not really feeling it. You know what I mean? Like that would be, <laughs> could you imagine the blowback to like, we would be happy to make the playoffs. Like, oh, that would yeah. be, that would be awful. You know what I mean? I would end like, the world. I, I would lose my mind a little bit, you know? The injury stuff is, like, driving me crazy because it's like, okay, I don't even care if people complain, but, like, when you complain about something that isn't a huge issue, like the Cortez stuff or the fact that he showed up and said, F. Ross has back surgery and Trevino is, like, slower and everyone acted like the world is exploding. Like, we have seen bad injury springs for the Yankees. We've seen them at this point. I mean, last year, Nestor had already strained his hamstring and Rodon's was not looking good in his bullpen. Four years ago is like my gold standard. The fact that like Severino, Paxton, Judge, and Stanton were clearly all going to miss opening day by like the end of February. And with if not for COVID, they would have. And people are acting like, oh yeah, this is the same thing. And I think I posted something about that on Twitter. And some you guys did. like, yeah. And the guy like didn't understand the point I was even making. He's like, well, yeah, that's why this is just as bad as that. I'm like, no, it's not. It's clearly not. So this to this point thus far, the injuries have been non-existent or manageable, and they have been, like, not, I mean, they're, they're being blown out of proportion. Like, just because they've had injuries before does not mean every time that Aaron Boone even alludes to someone being anything related to an injury. I mean, we got to watch Judge's toe. Like, that means nothing. That means, like, he's going to have to take care of it because it was an issue last year, just as, like, if we all broke some significant part of our body, we would have to do the same thing. So it's like the stats, the injuries. I mean, complaining, complain about the right things. Like that's what I, also, I want to say. I also want to interject with one thing regarding the injury situation. You know, 
everybody, I think, you know, the, I agree with like the overreaction. I don't think anybody's celebrating that Trevino and Efros are hurt, but it's more of a matter of like, it could be so much worse. Like Trevino isn't even a miss opening day. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, Efros, you were already kind of like, is he going to be back? Like, when is he going to be back? Do we know if he's going to be ready? Like Boone even hinted at, it wasn't even like some random thing. Boone mentioned, I forget where, but I had gotten like replies. Well, hey, Boone had talked about Efros is not going to be ready for opening day or he's, he got, he had a setback. Like, I'm not saying this team hasn't, you know, this team has to tell me everything as it happens and not wait until they get confirmation. But, you know, you always hear like also the the training staff, what are they doing? Guys, they're playing baseball. They're going to get hurt. Like, I don't know if you guys have played sports before, but people get hurt. Like, do you know how crazy it was to see like, oh my God, the training staff, Harrison Bader got hurt. He showed up to the Yankees in a walking boot. Harrison Bader gets hurt. (laughs) That's what he does. Like, that's just part of the deficiency of one of it. That's just one of his flaws. It's just an unfortunate part of his game. Guys, they're not sitting on their desks all day. They're playing sports. Guys are going to get hurt in spring training. Uh, somebody's going to get hurt. Multiple guys are going to get hurt. In fact, it's not going to just be one guy. Two guys are going to get hurt. Three guys are going to get hurt. Another guy's going to be, uh, he's day to day with this. He's uh, sitting this game out because he felt a little bit, you know, Boone's going to say something like, yeah, he felt like the hammy was a little sore, so we're sitting him out. Just just precautionary day. And people are going to be like, oh, my God, the training staff, what are they doing? You're we're not going to see him until August. Yeah, it's like uh, respectfully, like as respectfully as possible, most people saying that. No, all people saying that are not doctors because doctors would never say that, number one. And number two, guys, it's you can't – like we're playing baseball. Like we're not, we're not, we're not frolicking in the grass. We're not, you know, typing – we're not tweeting at people on Twitter. Aaron Judge is playing baseball. Garrett Cole is playing baseball. You 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 get hurt playing baseball. Could you imagine telling Aaron Judge like, do you want the medical staff to go to Aaron Judge and say, Aaron, look, if there is a bang bang play that can decide this game, don't run. Just just let it happen. Like just just let that happen. And you know what would be the reaction if we found out that happened? If that was a conversation, all oh, the Yankees baby there guys. Oh, they're so soft. They don't push them hard enough. Like that question. You guys remember that question that Boone was asked? Relate to Scott Proctor, who Scott never Proctor. won a World Series series, and blew out his arm because he got overused. Like, it's like, why don't they push him more? Look at Scott Proctor, a World Series champion, a guy who got pushed, and it worked. He blew out his freaking arm. He blew out his yeah. arm. Like, I don't – like, I just – Would not be able to handle you know what I mean? Yeah, I just, like I, – look, I didn't mean to get this worked off, but, like, guys, I just – no. If I have to see, like, I know I'm going to see it this year, and it's going to be the thing that pisses me off the most. It's going to be the people who are not doctors and have zero medical expertise, none at all, and have never looked at any medical information going, oh, man, this medical staff sucks. Oh, what are yeah. they doing? It's like, I, sure. Like, my, I, my Eric Cressy is extremely respected. Like, I don't know what else to say. My favorite is, like, the situations where they pull someone early from a game, and then everyone gets, like, fired up and then they're just like in the lineup the next day like yeah that always makes you because it's like the sky is falling it's like oh no you guys remember the judge thing in tampa like in 2021 where he didn't play two games in a row or something like that or like it was right before spring training and everybody's like yep he's hurt and boone's like it's spring training we're just not playing him like (laughs) what are you guys talking about i must be so funny to be like aaron boone reading twitter and just being like what are these guys talking it's gotta be the greatest thing yeah. One of my favorite things about the discourse and Whipple, we got to wrap this up. One of my favorite things about the discourse this year was when the Trevino and Efros news broke, people were like, why does this only happen to the Yankees? Like the Yankees are the only team where guys show up to spring training and then we find out they're hurt. And then we find out that like 
Kyle Bradish might need Tommy John surgery. Who knows? John Means is going to miss opening day. Um, the Orioles traded for Corbin Burns after knowing the Bradish news. Like, uh, we found out that like Otani wasn't going to be ready for the start of spring training or whatever. Like, I I don't know where people get these ideas, but Yankees fans, I I think, and I won't. We won't dive into old discussion here. I think on the part of many Yankees fans, there is a desire to be miserable. And there's also a desire to be mad and right. And that leads to people being like, oh, you know, everything the Yankees do is the worst. As I said, if you approach Yankees Twitter through the lens of everything the Yankees do is wrong, you will understand everyone take everyone's takes except like the three people on this show perfectly. And it's a damn shame. Yankee psychology. That'll be the next hundred episodes. We're going to have the Yankee psychology segment, but we do have to wrap this up. So we're going to do rapid fire confidence because it's the beginning of spring training. And generally, like, I don't know if there are many reasons not to be confident right now, but I'll pass it off to you guys for just general vibes and to put a number on the utter happiness we're feeling watching Juan Soto and Aaron Judge hit back back home runs in batting practice. Hit well, it, Ryan. Or Ryan. Sorry. Guess first. Guess first. Yeah, um, I'll go with uh, I'll go with a nice calm, you know, nice ten. Give me the ten. Just get right now. Give me the ten. There's there is Juan Soto content. Like I've been staring at videos and, and pictures of Juan Soto, just like in pinstripes and all that stuff, and it still doesn't feel real that this guy plays for our team. I'm so like I just I couldn't be happier right now. I'm, vibes are good, and I'm gonna I'm gonna enjoy that. Look, I know everybody's gonna be like, well, what about when something goes wrong? I'll worry about it when it happens. Right now, things are good, and I'm gonna bask in it. Well. I think the grand tradition of Yankees files as we're celebrating our hundredth episode extravaganza today is that when Ryan is on the podcast, I end up giving a 10 in the confidence rating. So I think I have to, I think, I think I got to go 10. I I'm not guaranteeing that it'll be a 10 next week when we do our next episode. But for now, I think I can't break with tradition here. It's got to be a 10. I mean, it's the hundredth episode, like Will said, Ryan usually boosts our confidence. And at this point, you know, maybe it's not like a battle tested middle of August 10, but it's a preseason 10. Like that's pretty cool. Last year definitely was not a preseason 10. I think there was lots of kind of concerns at the beginning of camp with injuries and just not being sure about the lineup construction, whatever the case is, I just feel like none of those issues are here at this current point. And again, watching Soto and judge just hit bombs. Like, that's as fun as like non-game content as you can get. Everyone seems happy. Everyone seems motivated. I think they're really like ready to put last year behind them in a way that I've been always perceived. And so I'm going to go 10 and we're just going to have the perfect 10s for the 100th episode. I think that's very fitting. So before we wrap up this great episode, do either of you have any parting shots or anything you want to plug, Ryan or Will? I mean, you're on here every day, Will, but still plug stuff. Yeah, so you guys can check me out at Fireside Yankees. Obviously, that's that's where all my stuff is at. Uh, I also opened up a new podcast under Fireside Yankees for our prospects. It's the Baby Bombers podcast, so check that out as well. Um, and as for my parting shot, uh, thank you guys so much for having me on. Like, I it's always it's always so much fun to be on this pod. Um, and you know, thank you guys for all these 100 episodes. Again, you guys got me through my senior year of high school. So yeah. Love it. Great to have you on as always, Ryan. It was uh, our pleasure. Certainly Luke Weaver in for a big year. Book it. That, I think that was your first. Are you, you Do you do parting shots? Will or you just kick it over to me? 
Is this I your first kinda, parting shot? Sometimes? It's, it's my first like parting shot where I'm not going to do a bunch more after. Fair enough. Well, my parting shot is thank you, Ryan, for coming on. Thank you, Will, for letting me host. I hope this wasn't a train wreck. I hope I will be allowed to do this again in the future. I feel like the the kid who stole their parents' car, now they're returning home from like going out and having fun. We're going to see what the reaction is. But I think the thumbs up I just saw means it went well. I had a good time, and I think we're all going to have a good time watching the Yankees this year. So uh probably won't get the plug exactly right, but you know you can follow us on Yankees Twitter, at Yankees Files. You can read the blog, yankeesfiles.com. Will's written some good content. Maybe I'll start writing again. I think with this team, I feel like the motivation is there, and um, you know anything can happen when Soto and Judge are in the middle of your lineup, including more written content this year. But please keep listening. Keep following us. We're going to come back with some great spring training episodes. And the season's right around the corner. So we're going to be back to our weekly schedule soon enough. And I'm just really excited about this year. I'm also excited to have gotten the chance to host. So I'm signing off from hosting for probably 100 episodes. So thank you all. And let's go Yankees.